0: Halo Top is ice cream's biggest game changer. I can tell you this because I was eating it two days ago. My wife's birthday party. And not because they're an advertiser, because she's been bringing this stuff home for weeks because she loves it. With Halo Top, enjoy all the flavor and deliciousness of ice cream. And you do not need to worry. About that, Halo Top has less than 360 calories per pint, but it's still delicious and creamy, just like ice cream should be. Halo Top is packed with 20 grams of protein per pint. They have over 20 incredible flavors to choose from. I'm talking vanilla bean. That's what I was eating on Saturday. They got cinnamon roll, pancakes and waffles. I had one that was like a uh, caramel cappuccino. Really good. Okay, you can stop avoiding ice cream. Eat Halo Top. Eat it. Halo Top's available nationwide. Find your pint at halotop.com. Follow them on social media at halotopcreamery, halotop.com. Hello to all my shotgun grandmas. It's beautiful, anonymous, one hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred.
1: I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more
0: fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, hi, hello to you listening, the one who's listening right now, it's me, it's Chris Gethard. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Beautiful Anonymous. I'm lucky to have you here, really lucky to do this gig. It's the best, it's the best thing. Get to talk to people from all over the world, hear how they're doing, hear what they're worried about, hear what the concerns are of modern humanity. About the lives that we're living. Thank you for all for calling. Thanks for calling. I meet a lot of people and I get a lot of tweets from people who are like, I always call and I can never get through. And here's the best thing I can say to that keep trying. I want to talk to all of you. I want to talk to every single one of you. Call every time I tweet out that number. I don't want to stop doing this show until every single one of you has had a chance to be on it. I mean that sincerely. Okay, what do I have to tell you guys about? Some big things coming up. Some big things coming up. We have a couple live tapings in the works, and tickets are on sale. So I want to mention it because I don't want them to sell out before you guys hear about them. Uh, July 27th, we have a live taping of Beautiful Anonymous in Montreal, Canada, part of the Just for Laughs Festival. Me and Jared were flying up to Canada. Bought the tickets last week. Going to head up to Canada. It's going to be a good time. That's the best festival in the world. Uh, it's, it is. I've done that one. Edinburgh. I'd love to do the the Melbourne one. Those are regarded as all the best ones, right? Just for Laughs. Great. I'm also doing stand-up there, the 26th, the 28th, my full hour. So if you're coming to town for the taping, maybe you come see me do some stand-up too. Make it a whole little gethard week up there in Canada. We also are going to be doing the London Podcast Festival in September. And tickets are already moving, I've noticed. Our UK fans, last time I was in the UK, a lot of people were really so nice about Beautiful Anonymous. And uh, we're coming. London, we're finally coming. Live taping. In London, you go check out uh, chrisgeth.com for those tickets, or you go check out the uh, Just for Laugh site or the London Podcast Festival site. Get those tickets. We got these tapings coming, baby. Now, last week's episode, uh, Out of the Closet, a young person who had not spoken very much about his sexuality was telling us, Yep, I'm on the brink. I'm ready to go. I'm comfortable. I'm going to come out, you know, let the people in my world know what's going on. And it was, I found it very touching and very, uh, Personal and beautiful, and I just hope I was there for the caller. Some people in the Facebook group did set me straight on something, which, uh, which is not great phrasing. I apologize, but did, uh, let me, let me know one thing. I had said at one point, you know, I hope, I hope that. We live in a world where uh, some if you come out to your folks that they just go, all right, yeah, what do you want for dinner? Some people did say to me, hey, that's a little reductive because it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And I apologize if anyone felt like I was being dismissive. I was more speaking of the idea that I would love if we lived in a world where it wasn't a big deal. And I think we're heading more towards that. And I hope someday every kid just someday can go out and go on dates with who they want and nobody blinks twice because it's – who cares? Anyway, here's a comment I read that I thought was really beautiful. Um, it was from someone named Kyra in the Facebook group. Because this summed up a lot of the comments that were coming in all at once. I listened to this episode while on an impromptu road trip to my 20th class reunion, which I found fitting. As someone born in South Dakota, I was baffled by the lack of enthusiasm for Mount Rushmore. A lot of Mount, a lot of Mount Rushmore fans out there coming to the defense of Mount Rushmore. Someone who lived in Montana for 20 years, I was howling about the discussion on laws or lack thereof. As a human, I was captivated by the caller and his story. I hope he comes out when he's ready. I hope the people in his life embrace him with love, acceptance, and joy. I hope he knows there's so many of us who have his back, who believe that love is love. I hope he lives his truth, whatever that looks like for him. If you're reading this caller, don't wait. Just yesterday, I was an insecure, awkward, emotional high schooler who's just doing her best like everyone else. Last night, I celebrated 20 years with people who knew me before I knew myself. It goes by in a blink. Do not waste another moment living anything but your truth. And remember, love... Always wins. Beautiful comment. Okay, this week's episode. Uh, it, I, I I tell you, I we uh, we've been sitting on this one for a few months, and I've not been able to stop thinking about it since the day I ran home. I told Hallie I just had one of the conversations of my life, and that's not to. It's not a pissing contest between the others. It's so specific and so unique. Also, sadly. Um, Deals with some stuff, it's a little more common than I think maybe we like to admit with some of the epidemic driven side of it you may have uh, it's it's an episode people got so excited about, uh, a lot of the other Earwolf shows have been running ads about it, you may have heard the at the end of last week's episode, teaser for it, the AV Club uh, ran a little exclusive on it, so you may know a little bit about it um, if you don't, I'm not going to say any specifics in the intro, just because if you don't know what's coming I want you to be As blindsided as I was, this is uh, about as intense a call as we've ever had. And that's coming from me. I've been here for all of them. There's been some intense ones. I know that. And you know that. But this one, I'm telling you, I've, I've said it since the moment we hung up the phone. They pay Hollywood screenwriters millions of dollars to come up with stories that this person just has. You couldn't invent something. You couldn't invent something more intense and more unique than what this caller is going through. I can't believe this caller gave us an hour of her time when she didn't have that many hours to spare. You're going to see what I mean. Buckle up is my advice to you. If you're right now, if you're one of these people who casually listens, not today. Not today. Not today. If you're doing dishes, stop doing them for a second, okay? If you're driving, just be ready to put your hazard lights on because you might be unable to focus on the road. This one is something else, you guys. Something else. Tell everybody about this one because it's going to be a lot of people. A lot of people, I think, are going to go, whoa, this show just went somewhere new. Enjoy it. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hi.
1: Hi. Is this Chris?
0: This is Chris.
1: How are you this morning?
0: How am I this morning? I'm good. I just took a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class, 7.30 a.m., bright and early. Great way to start the day, getting beat up, feeling really good and awake and alive.
1: (laughs) That would not be my idea of a great morning. I am not a morning person at all. <laughs>
0: well, I have a lot of self-hatred issues. <laughs> so, um, how are you? How are you?
1: Um, well, I'm as good as can be. I'm a lot better than people expect me to be.
0: <laughs> That's an intriguing um, answer.
1: Well, I am kind of living my own version of Orange is the New Black. On Monday, um, my parents and I are taking a road trip which will end with me turning myself into federal prison for 46 months.
0: For for, four, for almost four years? Yes. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, I need to know everything about this. And right off the bat, let me say, I imagine this isn't the easiest thing to talk about, so thanks for opening up.
1: Um, it is, It isn't, but in some ways it is. I actually... Feel like there's um, there's been a lot of people that have heard my story that it has helped, and I thought maybe that more people could hear it and get something from it. Um, I unfortunately took a path of uh, I didn't start out this. Let me start with that. I started out in a medical career doing very well. I had some traumatic things happen in my life, which I turned to drugs to help with, (laughs) um, and led me to um, selling drugs to support my habit and. And, um, so April 22nd of last year, we had our door kicked in by, um, pretty much all of the alphabet forms of the law enforcement, <laughs> uh, DEA and ATF, um, and I got a federal indictment. So I've been clean since June 15th of 2017, um, and trying to change my life around, which I have successfully done. I've been involved in NA, I've lived in sober living, um spoken to people who are struggling, but just because I changed my life and you know, done things the right way from that point to now doesn't mean I'm absolved of the crimes I did when I was getting high. doesn't mean I don't get to face those consequences. That's what I'm about to do.
0: <laughs> wow. I have to say, this one's already blown my mind. It's, uh, it's also, uh, first of all, very sincerely, I, I know it's under particularly, um, you know, particularly extreme circumstances, but congrats on being uh, clean since June, first of all. Thank you. And no matter the circumstance, I have to say, I have to imagine that if I talked to you in, uh, you know, a year, if I talked to you in, in March of last year, I have to imagine you wouldn't be so clear-headed. Um,
1: oh, absolutely not.
0: <laughs> what Can I ask what kind of drugs you were you were deep into?
1: Um, I, my drug of choice is methamphetamine. I, um, also did cocaine and, um, mushrooms, pretty much anything that would change my, my reality, anything that would make me not feel what was going on.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so, so were you, cause, cause here's my initial instinct and, and you're going to have to correct me on all this stuff because, you know, we see TV shows and we see movies about, um, drugs and indictments, like, uh, right away in my head, I'm like, wow, is this like breaking meth? Were you, were you like manufacturing meth? Because for this to be a federal level crime, it must have been, you must have I, been.
1: Was, I, I was trafficking. Um, I was working with, um, some unfortunately very dangerous people. And I realized now how dangerous the lifestyle I had gotten into. I was, um, trafficking for the cartel.
0: The Mexican cartels? Yes. And was this, was it meth that you were trafficking?
1: Yes. And cocaine.
0: Meth and cocaine. So were you getting it back and forth over the border?
1: Um, it was being delivered to me from Mexico. And then I was, uh, my husband and I were distributing it in our town. Uh, about a pound a day is what we were distributing.
0: A pound a day? Yes. So you were, you were part of an international drug syndicate. And you were a pretty yes. a cog that sounds like it was not. You weren't at the bottom of the chain. You weren't at the very top, but you you were a mid level. This is pretty far up the chain.
1: Yeah, I was. Well, on our federal indictment, um, there were three people on our indictment: my husband, myself, and our supplier. So that there were only three of us, Um we had a pretty large operation. Uh, unfortunately, we were the second people up in our operation, so that. Kind of got us some unwanted attention and um, brought us some pretty big consequences
0: <laughs> yeah are you are you and your husband still married?
1: Yes, we've been together for it's um I'll tell you, drugs ruin lives and it ruins relationships. Um, we are happier right now than we've ever been in the seven years we've been together. Uh, we officially got married on New Year's Eve because we're both going to prison, and that's the only way we could communicate it if we were legally married. He's actually sitting across the room from me right now. Um, when the, we, they first served the federal indictment, they put in no contact order, which we couldn't have phone calls. We couldn't write letters. They sent me to a, a rehab that was pretty far away, and sent him, he's got to stay where we were. Um, so, for almost six months, we were able to contact each other. And when that no-contact order was lifted, it was a pretty great day. We um, were both living in sober living homes, so we couldn't live together. Um, I was able to spend like three nights a week with him and then four nights at my sober living home. Um, But it's brought us closer than I think we've ever been and really shown us what's important and what matters because at the blink of an eye, you can lose everything.
0: Wow. So I have... So many questions. I'm just gonna go for it. Okay. Tell me, tell me when I'm offending you, and or if you're like, if I answer that question, a cartel might hear it, and I'd rather not go there. The, the okay. only time I've had to say that in the history of the show. <laughs> um. So you and your husband have been together seven years. Were you both into drugs seven years ago when you met?
1: No, actually, he had um, he had some drug history in his past. I did not. I had um focused on my career, uh, and he had been clean for quite a while. We drank together, um, kind of. It was a situation where someone had brought some some speed to a party, and it kind of triggered him, and he relapsed, and then I tried it, and we were just off and running from there.
0: Wow. So it was like an overnight thing.
1: It really, like, it literally... Um, In the matter of three years, we went from using a little bit on every other weekend to kind of just hang out and have a good time to every weekend. And within six months, we were using every single day and couldn't get through a day without using, which then cost us our jobs. He had a business that he was very successful at. He owned five small businesses that his work started to... Not get done, not get done as well as he was able to before. So we started losing customers and not making the money. And I lost my job at the hospital. So then we started selling so we could support our habit and pay our bills.
0: Wow. And were you a, were you a nurse? Were you, Um,
1: I was an ICU tech and an EKG tech. So I did the EKGs and monitored the heart. Monitored the people in ICU monitored their heart rhythms, did their ekgs you know wow. called the doctor if anything was changing
0: yeah <laughs> so you uh so it sounds like you were if I'm doing the math right a couple of years together clean fell into this yes. pit for a few years mm-hmm. came out of it now you got married two months ago after the indictment
1: yes, we got married on new year's eve um at there was a mass wedding in the town that we were in that a judge was doing. So we were like, hey, let's go do that.
0: (laughs) It's like a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde, your outlaw lovers.
1: (laughs) Kind of. We were, you know, uh, a lot of people look up to us now because we've, you know, Throughout all this, we hear almost daily, you know, if I was about to go to prison, I'd probably be out there getting high. And yeah. I'm like, you know, it doesn't help anything. There are definitely moments where the disease of addiction rears its head and says, you're already going to prison. Go get high. Go not feel this for a little while. Right. But I know that if I do that, I not only can't look at the people that I've been helping through this, the people that I've mentored, I can't look at myself in the mirror and have any respect for myself when I go to service time.
0: Right. Right. What a beautiful attitude. I mean, I have to say for someone who's about to, because you said you you go in on on Monday to turn yourself in?
1: Yeah, it's about an 11-hour drive to get to the prison where I'm going. So um, my parents are going to pick me up from my husband's house on Monday morning, and we're kind of going to take a two-day road trip because I have to turn myself in by 2 p.m. on the 7th.
0: For someone who's a couple days away from turning yourself in for a four-year prison sentence, you sound remarkably upbeat and positive.
1: Um, You know, there are moments where I kind of just cry. At, but like I said, just because I've changed my life for the better doesn't mean that I'm absolved of my past. It doesn't mean that I don't still have to make those amends. And for me, those amends are going and, you know, paying my debt to society and serving this time. Um... I just plan on taking advantage There's so many programs that are offered in the prison. I can go and further my education. I can, you know, get healthy. There's counseling that I can take advantage of. I can really focus on getting bettering myself and having that time to do it. And I'll have the clarity of being clean for almost nine months on top of that.
0: Wow. What an amazing attitude. What an amazing attitude. There's a lot of things to criticize about the American prison system, the parole system, you know, the cycle of of, of criminality that that a lot of people say it encourages. Sounds like you're really dedicated to the idea of rehabilitation is is the lip service they say about it and you're going to to really make sure that that's what it is for you. I uh,
1: that's my plan. You know, something I will say in all of this, the prison system um, on the federal level is a lot different than the state, you know, state to state. But I've noticed in all this that, you know, there's not much focus anywhere on mental health and there's just, you put, lock people up and put them, you know, in prison when if they would focus on mental health and funneling some money into mental health, the drug problem and the criminal problem from the drug problem would just dramatically lower there's so many people who are just self-medicating mental issues with drugs that i mean it's so sad and i keep seeing budget cuts for mental health and you know people that really need help relying on just going and getting high
0: yeah i mean i i think there's so many stigmas against mental health that it's probably easier for you know when the fear of that coming sets in i'd have to imagine there's there's some people who who self-medicate and it's a it's probably easier to swallow for people to go, Hey, you party too hard, versus saying, Hey, you're a little crazy. I would have to imagine that is yeah. a pretty big thing out there.
1: I know most of the people in recovery recognize that they have mental health issues that are underlying to their drug addiction. And, you know, and I think that that's something that if we just focused more on getting people help and having more programs for people as far as recovery and sober living and just support for people who need help, I think that, you know, our population and the prisons would go down. People would be more productive. I mean, I was not a productive member of society. I was, you know, just out there. I wasn't the kind of person who was going and stealing to support my habit. I mean, because we were selling enough to that wasn't a problem, but I definitely contributed so much to people ruining their lives. And I didn't really care. You know, as long as I was being paid, I didn't care where you were getting the money to come and buy drugs for me. Right. And that is something that I regret so much because, you know, selling that much and putting that much drugs on the street, I know that my children suffered. I lost my children because of my addiction. And I know that so many other children lost their parents because I was putting drugs out there. And that's a huge regret for me.
0: Wow. And would you, so, you know, I I think the obvious thing that a lot of people listening probably have in their heads point of reference, probably Breaking Bad. Based on what you're yes. describing, like that's the thing that keeps. I, I hate to compare it to pop culture, but that's the way of the world, right? Like, do you have? So, so you've had you've had the real life moments of someone keeps coming to your door, and you've you've watched them degrade physically and mentally. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Where you just see absolutely. a person becoming like a, a living zombie in a living hell. Um,
1: but I was that. You know, I would wow. stay up for five days on end, and you know psychologically, your brain just can't handle that. You start getting suspicious of everything. You start like, you know, thinking the craziest thoughts. Me and my husband, who we had a great relationship. We were kind of the model couple before drugs. And we would just, you know, we would spend maybe an hour together. And that was honestly just sex. And then we would separate. He would go his way and I would go my way. And we would just, you know, I mean, that was just the way it was, and you had you always had to be suspicious because you know when the DEA raided us, we had three and a half tons of methamphetamine. When you have that much drugs around, you always have to be careful of who's coming through the door and what they're going to try to get.
0: Yeah, Would people people trying to rob you all the time? Was that a constant fear?
1: It wasn't. I am um, probably one of the nicest people you would meet, uh, but when I'm on drugs, I'm. A, my husband and I are both very scary individuals. I always had a gun and I, uh, everybody knew that I was able to shoot very well. I was very accurate with the pistol. So that wasn't really a fear. People would try more to, um, a lot of times they would try to get in between me and my husband and try to get us to be suspicious of each other. So they could take advantage of that and get more or, you know, kind of, it was just a lot of people were out to, um, just that's
0: no good. <laughs> just kind of undermine. Exactly. Wow. And again, there, I'm I'm just going to ask all the questions. There might be things where you go that involves other crime, and I, I shouldn't speak to it. Like, did you ever have to point a gun at someone? You, the, hearing someone as as chipper on the phone as you say the phrase as say the phrase. Everyone knew I was good with the pistol. It's chilling. <laughs> And that's just your real life. You just dropped that casually because that's just a true thing. And for me, I'm like, holy shit. Um, there was
1: the only time that I ever I um I actually took down courses. I I love. Hello. Are you are you still there? Can you hear me?
0: Yes. Hello. Hello. Yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I must have hit a dead spot in the house. That's um, okay. There um. I, I love to shoot. I used to go to the firing range, and that used to be something that was fun. Unfortunately, I'll never be able to do that again. The only time that I ever um, really pulled a gun on anybody was um, our cartel person came in, and he was upset. There was a disagreement about something, and um, he came in while my husband was gone. So it was just me, and he made some threats. He basically said, you know, this is how things are going to be. And if you don't like it, we can go outside and bang this out right now. And I had my Glock on my hip and I said, you know, no one wants that to come to this, but if that's what we have to do, I guarantee you, I will shoot you between your eyes before you can get your gun out of your waistband.
0: (laughs) And how does he respond to that?
1: Um, He kind of stands there in a little bit of shock because he's a very scary person that doesn't usually have anybody talk back to him. So my husband walks in to me and our supplier and our supplier's bodyguard, kind of in like a Mexican standoff situation. And he's like, what did you do? Oh, I'm sorry I just said my name.
0: <laughs> oh, believe me, we'll bleep that. We got your back on that. If there's anyone whose name needs to be bleeped, you're the, the most pressing one in a long time on this show. Wow. Wow. And do you keep working with that cartel guy after that incident? Yes. <laughs> and do you guys have a conversation when things calm down, or do you just sort of always live with the constant tension that you recently threatened to shoot each other between the eyes?
1: Um, well, my husband came home, and um, the guy immediately looked at my husband and says, We need to go talk. So they went out to the garage and had a conversation. And um, my husband came back, and he's like, I can't believe you did that, but I'm so proud of you because, you know, he's always going to have respect for you. And in that world, um, you get respect by actually standing up for yourself. If you if you let somebody walk all over you, then you have no legs to stand on. No one's going to respect you. No one's going to take anything that you say seriously. And then that's when you have to worry about being robbed or something happening to you.
0: Now, did the cartel know that you guys were getting high off your own supply, as the notorious B.I.G. would say?
1: Um. Yes, and they honestly, it's... They want that because then you're always going to, like, if you're getting high and you're addicted to it, then they don't ever have to worry about losing you. Right. As long as you're paying them the money you owe them, they don't care.
0: <laughs> it sounds legitimately, too, I would have to imagine this is the reality of if you start overdoing it to the point where you're not, if you're, if you're doing enough of your own drugs that you can no longer pay them, they can just throw your body in a desert and find another addict to take your place. That has to be the reality, oh, absolutely. right?
1: Absolutely, it absolutely is. Um, I, I've witnessed things that were.
0: Hello. You've witnessed things that were what? Well, if that ain't a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. What did she witness? Will we even reestablish this connection? The ultimate cliffhanger is that's call cut off forever. Have to come back after the ads to find that one out. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. I'm a big advocate of therapy. This is not news to you guys. I've always been open about the fact I've been in therapy since 2002. 2002, a lot of my life, it's helped me a lot. And I know there's a lot of barriers to entry, right? It takes time. How are you going to fit it in? Well, guess what? With Talkspace, therapy is as easy as sending your therapist a message. Get something off your chest whenever you need to. Talk about everyday challenges at work or at home. Just chat about life. You don't have to commute. You don't have to leave your office. Nobody's going to judge you. You just need a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. You can improve your mental health. I tell you, too, uh, therapy, a lot of us... It becomes melodramatic and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to vent all these inner thoughts and dig into these hidden memories. No, 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 no. I love therapy because it's practical. They give you everyday strategies for stress management, living a happier life. I can vouch for that, hands on. Having a therapist provides you a designated person for you to talk to who's trained to listen. They're trained to listen, help you make some positive changes. And the Talkspace platform has over 2,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life challenges we all face. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com beautiful. Use the code beautiful. You get $45 off your first month and you show your support for this show. That's beautiful at Talkspace.com beautiful. Thank you so much to our advertisers for supporting the show. Guys, good news. Reestablish the connection. Enjoy the rest of this call. You've witnessed things that were what? Hello. Yes, you've witnessed things Hello? that were what? I need to know what you've witnessed.
1: I mean, I've witnessed people being tortured over $700. I've. Don't with their money.
0: What do you mean tortured? What do you mean tortured?
1: There was a girl who, uh, who stole $700 um, who was. Pulled out of bed while she was sleeping um wrapped in plastic had um a, the acetone thrown on her was um beat with a pistol. It was a very scary situation, and I remember just sitting in another room with my husband going, "What did we get ourselves into and it it was just too late we were in over our heads
0: <laughs> and uh, did th- you how did this happen in on your, uh, your turf, or were you traveling with the cartel? It,
1: it happened in our house. They had found out that she was there, and she had uh, taken some money, so they came and got her, and it was in the next room over from my bedroom.
0: Was it a, f- a friend of yours or, or, or someone who you were selling to?
1: Um, it was someone that I knew vaguely that we had, uh, were going to rent a room to. <laughs> wow. But I didn't know her very well.
0: And then the cartel catches wind of it. Goes, actually, that's a person we've been looking for. We're gonna come over and pistol yeah. whip her and throw acid on her. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then what? You got to get out the carpet cleaner and and clean up after that. It's your house.
1: Yeah, we just had to kind of. Uh, I mean, there were some holes in the wall that had to be patched, and um, there was an awful smell that had to, you know, be taken care of, and just, you- cleaned it up she was gone and you just went about your life afterwards
0: (laughs) and she just she lived she just went on her way like battered and burnt yes
1: she did live um, and she left. and I never heard from her again (laughs) obviously she probably doesn't want to hear from me
0: yeah I'm sure she I'm sure the phone's not ringing and her being like so uh is that room still available or (laughs) it's time for her to move on wow (laughs) You've seen some dangerous things and been around some dangerous people.
1: And you know, that's, it's so crazy how, if you would have met me six years ago, I was not the person that would use drugs. I was so anti even smoking marijuana. And then just the right set of circumstances happened. And I just spun off out of control. And, you know, my husband and I don't look like, I mean, we look like a suburban couple, and that was what the cartel really liked is, you know, we weren't suspicious driving around because we just looked like a soccer mom and dad, and, yeah.
0: you know. Wow. So. And and I'm sure at some point, your friends and family have to start realizing that there's something going on.
1: Um. You cut yourself off from anybody who's not in that lifestyle. Yeah. I lost, I stopped talking to my parents. Um, I didn't get reconnected uh, with my mom and dad until I was in rehab. Uh, because that's not, you know, you know that they'll know something and you know they're not going to approve. My father is a Baptist minister and my mom's a choir director. So that's not the what? life that they had envisioned for me at all. I didn't grow up that way. I grew up in church, going to church camp. That's just... So I definitely didn't let them know because I just didn't contact them. I kind of just fell off the map. Wow.
0: I mean, for most calls, if someone said, I once witnessed a woman being pistol whipped and burned via acid by a Mexican cartel member, that's the full hour. With you, that was like a 30-second aside
1: yeah um there was just that lifestyle is awful it's, it's unfortunate what people will do over the smallest thing
0: Wow do you know uh do you know how you got caught
1: um, i I don't know exactly who i mean someone told on us but they when they set up their they set up a scheme and they there were pictures taken from a neighbor's house that was empty that they had kind of moved into and were surveilling us from that. Uh, I don't, I don't know the person who did, and I don't want to know really because um, that person ultimately was probably trying to save themselves. They probably had a little bit of dope and then get cover and get out of that. They were like, Oh, I know where these big people are. Um I don't wish Neil well 'cause cause they honestly saved our life. They saved our relationship they made things better for us even though you know in a few days I'm leaving my husband and going to prison we are happier right now than we have ever been
0: wow i mean what an amazing attitude and what a quick turnaround this was june yeah. <laughs> cuz I, I i would have to, I, you know the popular the popular perception is that you would want to find whoever ratted you out and 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 give them give them the what for, as they would say. And
1: that was definitely our first instinct. We wanted to know who it was, and we were gonna, you know, go after them because they, you know, they ruined everything. We, you know, our friends that we supposedly had. We had a nice three bedroom house that had you know TVs in every room. We had computers. We had tools. We had cars, and we had so much stuff that we didn't appreciate. We didn't even care about. Um, that as soon as the U.S. Marshals came and picked us up and took us away on that federal indictment, just everybody just came and it was a free for all and just took everything. So now my husband and I have basically a couple duffel bags full of clothes. So that's what we have in a TV.
0: Wow. So you were you were getting you were getting high, but you were also making money. You guys were splitting the difference.
1: Yeah, we were making. Um, we were making enough money that we had two money counters.
0: Two money counters?
1: Like the bank style that yeah. counts your built.
0: One money counter couldn't keep up with the amount of money you had to count. Yes. And that's what it's built for. Wow. This is blowing my mind. This is blowing my mind. Do you, uh... Do you do you know have you do you do you know anyone else who's been to prison? Like, have you been able to get advice from people from that perspective?
1: Um, I actually do the uh, sober living uh, home that we went to. Uh, It's a nationwide organization. I can't, I won't mention the name of it because anybody who here's where I am will (laughs) here's that will know who I am. Um, I immediately got involved in um, just trying to help other people that you know who are coming through. So there's a lot of people that come from prison and go into sober living to try to change their lives. And this definitely is an organization that does that. And um, so I, I immediately got involved. I became, uh, the president of my house. Each house is ran by the people who live there. There's no management or anything like that. You hold each other accountable. Um, it's, there's probably between seven and 12 people in each house. And so I became house president. There were people that were coming in and looking to me to do the right thing. So that was what one thing that kept me from messing up was other people were looking up to me. I um, got involved in the chapter, which is about eight houses in a chapter. I was vice chair for the chapter to help other houses. And then I got involved in my regional level, started speaking, and that's really what kept me on the right path. So through that, I've met a lot of people that have been through prison and they're like, you've got this. Go in
0: clear-headed. Don't cause any trouble. Ride your rack and keep your head down. <laughs> wow! Uh, yeah. I mean, is there? You know, there's the stereotypes of prison that they get violent. That there's like gangs that you have to link up with people from similar demographics as you. Is this? Is that on the federal level? Is that is that less of a factor? Is it more? So are these like supermax types prisons, like more regulated than that? Or is there a real fear there?
1: Um, There is that fear there. The the biggest advice I've gotten is don't get in debt with anyone and don't disrespect anyone, which I'm not that type of person. Um, So there's something that they say, don't eat the candy bar and don't take the chips because people aren't there to be nice to you. So no one's going to give you something and not expect something in return.
0: Right. So. <laughs> They're testing your naivete.
1: Yes.
0: This is, this, is, yeah. this, is, I have never, I never imagined I'd talk to someone in your situation. This, what's it like when the, I mean, do you, are you guys living the life at, at, you know, you're getting high. So you're in an altered reality. You got all this money. This has been going on for years and building do you feel invincible? Is it a surprise when the doors get kicked in? Or are you like, it finally happened? Um, it was
1: kind of a combination of both. You do feel invincible. You feel like nothing, this is going to go on forever, that you can have, that everything's going to be great, that you've, you know, you've got money, you've got power. Everybody is, you know, under you. So there's that, you know, you do feel invincible. But, um, you know, it had gotten to the point where, no matter how high we got, we were so miserable. Like we hated ourselves and we hated everybody else as well. And that's just what the drug does to you. It does. It steals everything. You know, you start getting high so that you don't feel those negative feelings. They take that away and it gives you a false sense of joy. But as your addiction grows, it takes everything away. You can't feel anything. You can't feel happy. You can't feel sad. You can't feel, you just don't feel anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would never compare it to your situation. Obviously, I'm not saying it's uh, it's it's very similar, but I know I was once prescribed Adderall and and went nuts and started abusing it and taking it too much, and that's in the amphetamine family. That is an amphetamine salt. And I can say even that I felt like a golden god who never needed to sleep or eat who I was exactly. I was better at being social I was quicker and funnier than I usually am and I'm pr- a pretty I'm a professional comedian pretty funny guy willing to admit and even with that but then like my muscles were always spasming and everybody it went from people being like oh you lost weight to people ve- within a month people being like hey uh, you lost weight what the fuck is going on like I lost that much weight started pooping oh. blood it was weird the whole thing was weird anyway Sorry.
1: It's that, you know, a lot of people, I, I also abused Adderall, I, um, and I didn't see that as, you know, when I was in college, I would take Adderall to it was finals week, and I'd take a couple Adderall to get through studying and get through finals because I was working um, graveyard shifts and then going to school during the day, and I thought that was okay. I didn't realize until now that that was the beginning of my addiction. But I was drinking, I was binge drinking. I was using Adderall occasionally when I, when I thought I needed it. Um, but that was those beginning dark days of yeah. you know. And then years later, I tried meth and was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I can get my house clean. I can do these projects. I can do this and I can do that. And then that goes away to where, like, I couldn't get a single thing done in a day because I would have to go and you know smoke a bowl before I could go do my laundry and then that one bowl would turn into me sitting there for hours and then at you know two o'clock in the morning going oh I was supposed to do laundry and you would start and stop so many projects and you would think that you were getting a lot done you had all this energy in reality you would lose like days and not know have anything and not have accomplished a thing
0: so you were like waking baking with meth yes Jeez, (laughs) jeez. Was there so when when you uh when you went to trial did you did you was your initial instinct we got to fight this we got to find a loophole we got to find a way out or or had you hit a point for like you you're feeling it, it's it's so commendable and so beautiful to hear you basically say like no I did a lot of stuff hurt a lot of people's lives on top of my own time to pay the penance, penance and I'm uh, I'm okay paying that penance was that a quick attitude or did you did you try to fight it initially
1: um at first, I did. Um, the way it happened was when, you know, it's, it was 1 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and my husband and I had actually finally laid down to get a couple hours sleep. And we woke up to the worst sound you could ever imagine. It was a battering ram hitting our front door. And we both sat up and looked at the cameras and saw people in full tactical gear, like the SWAT team style, shields, shotguns. Coming through the door and going, Oh my God, this is real. Like, and you know, immediately we look at each other like what, and the next thing we know is there's someone coming down the hall and, um, you know, they're coming down the hall one at a time, you know, hand on the person in front of them shoulder, yelling for everybody to come out of the rooms and putting zip ties on us and setting us in the living room. And it was just that moment. I was like, <clears throat> they don't have anything. They, you know, They didn't do a proper... Like, I was trying to find any loophole, um, and then the state dropped their case, and the feds picked it up. And when the feds picked it up, um, the government doesn't pick up the case they can't win. Uh, That's why they have a, like, 98% conviction rate on the federal level. They just won't pick it up. They'll let the state take care of it if they can't win. So when the feds picked it up, I was like, okay. And originally... Before I was given the opportunity to better myself, um, our charges were a 10-year minimum, 20-year, or lifetime maximum. So it was 10 to life was what we thought we were going to have to do. Wow. Um, We were very fortunate that they sent us to rehab and gave us an opportunity, and the judge that we were assigned is huge on recovery. So we were able to get our minimum drop to, um, I'll do, you have to do 85% of your time. So I'll actually do a little over three years on a 46-month sentence. And then I'll have to do five years probation.
0: And, that, and that's the type <laughs> of thing that gets shortened for good behavior. And I would imagine if you do enter a lot of educational programs and, and use a lot of the rehabilitating uh, focused services that that all adds up to getting those months shaved off
1: um, I the 46 months is um, I will absolutely have to do a, a little over three years of that yeah. I won't get any more time shaved off of that um you know in state level you, you can get a 20 year sentence and only do five on a 20 <laughs> there's not a whole lot of truth in sentencing in state prisons. In federal, there's laws that say what you get sentenced is what you're getting. And that's, there's no back and forth. You do 85% of it. So you get 54 days a year of good time.
0: Yeah. Now I have to ask, you mentioned something that I've been hesitant to ask about. You mentioned that you lost your kids. Let's go ahead and pause. That's a tough question. Always got to ask the tough questions around here, right? We're going to get the answers to those questions and many more come back. In the meantime, got advertisers. Check out what they have to offer. Use the promo codes. It helps the show when you do. We'll be right back. Madison Reed, a company the founder, Amy Arrett, named after her daughter, is revolutionizing the way women color their hair. For decades, women have had two options, outdated at-home hair color or the time and expense of a salon. I know this. My wife's very fashionable. Sometimes she plays with the shades. I see her, she goes. It's a stressful thing. It's a stressful thing. You got to either get it right yourself or hope someone's getting it right. You're spending lots of money, taking lots of time. Amy created Madison Reed because she believes women deserve better than the status quo. Madison Reed is reinventing the way women color their hair by offering the quality of salon color, the convenience and affordability of at home hair color, and an ammonia free formula with ingredients you can feel good about. You look like you just came from a salon, but the reality is you had more me time to do what you love. Experience beautiful, multidimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door on your schedule for under $25. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor beautiful, anonymous listeners with 10% off plus free shipping. on Their first color kit with the promo code PEOPLE. That's code People at Madison Read.com. Looking for a new podcast that combines some passions? Let's say maybe comedy and music. Those are two passions a lot of you guys have. All right, you're going to want to listen to The Super Group then. On each episode of The Super Group, hosts Tawny Newsom and Alex Kleiner invite a comedian and a musician to write and record an original song with them over the course of a week. You're going to hear every step of the process from writing and rewriting to recording and mixing. You're going to hear songs. There's people on there. Paul F. Tompkins, who's a, a legitimate genius. Janet Varney, old friend of mine. What a funny person. Also, Gethard Show fans. Some of our past musical guests have been on there. Open Mike Eagle, great friend of the show. Multiple time appearances. Ted Leo appeared multiple times on the Chris Gethard Show. A lot of crossover here. The podcast is funny. The songs are legit. Listen to the Supergroup only on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com supergroup. Use the promo code STORIES. You get a free month of Stitcher Premium. Thanks again to all of our advertisers and now the conclusion of one of the most epic phone calls this show has ever seen. Now I have to ask, you mentioned something that I've been hesitant to ask about. You mentioned that you lost your kids. Yes. How many kids do you have?
1: I have two. I have a 19 year old son and a 13 year old son. Wow. Um, my, I've, seen them a few times since all of this has happened. And, um, you know, I had a very tough conversation with my 13 year old where he basically said, mom, either step into my life and be a part of my life or don't, you know, my ex-husband has remarried and there's two parents living in the home. He's like, it's too hard for me to go back and forth. It's too hard for me to have you for a little bit and lose you. And, you know, knowing that I'm going to prison and hearing him say that and having that, you know, Okay, well, I'm going away. I, um, you know, told him how much I love him and how much I, I regret. I, I was never, I never thought I was being a bad mom. I was an inattentive mom. I wasn't reliable. I went from you know being one of the team moms to the baseball team and football team to you know always being there to just not being present for them. You know, I would show up late to pick them up, or you know, I would. Have to get high first, or I wouldn't go because I didn't want them to see me high. So I definitely, in my addiction, I started choosing drugs over my children. I never thought I would be that person, and it it hurts a lot to know that I turned into that type of person, um, because I was al- always very judgmental on anyone who would choose anything over their kids. But that absolute addiction took over. I wasn't able to care about anything else except for getting high. It just stole everything.
0: And were they uh, were they ever in the house when you when you were dealing or when he, any of this violence was happening?
1: No, they were um, they were gone by then. I uh, I was always uh, I was high when they were around. We had uh, joint custody my ex husband and I, and so when they would come over, I would spend hours in the bathroom getting high and just saying, "Oh, I don't feel well." You know, I had battled with a serious illness and I used that as an excuse to my kids of why I was like in the bedroom and not around because I didn't feel well. (laughs) And they accepted that excuse because they didn't know any better and they had never been around anything like this. But I never had any of those people around the kids or anything like that. Um, I kind of, as my addiction got worse, my ex-husband was like, you know, unless you get help, you can't be around the kids. I'm not going to have them around this. I'm not going to have them around you. high. So when he said that I was like devastated. So I started getting high more so I wouldn't feel that disappointment. And that's when things really started spiraling was when I, instead of going and getting help for my addiction, because I was losing my kids, I used more drugs to not feel anything over losing my kids.
0: That's brutal. That's brutal. So your your ex husband did pick up on what was going on.
1: Yes, he did.
0: <clears throat> Sounds like he was one of the only ones.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I try I thought I was so well at hiding it. Looking back now, I mean, I had all the classic what they call tweaker ticks. You know, I'd always have my jaw was moving. But I was, you know, moving my body in irregular movements, and I couldn't sit still. I mean, just classic. That person's high, and I see it now, and I'm like, oh God, was I like that? And I was.
0: <laughs> wow. Were you, uh, do you live in the, in the Southwest? I'd imagine if, if this is a matter of a Mexican cartel getting stuff over the border.
1: Um, I can say my state, I'm in Oklahoma.
0: You're in Oklahoma. And is, is meth a big problem there?
1: Um, meth is a huge problem here. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Heroin is starting to be a problem. Meth is everybody. It has access to it. Everybody can make it. Um, Unfortunately, what you make isn't as good quality as what we had. Um, But it's it's something that I know more people that have dabbled in meth than haven't. And it seems like as I'm going into these sober living homes, you know, when you ask people their drug of choice, it's... It's pretty much at least eighty percent of the people who are going through recovery met with their drug of choice.
0: That's uh that's an insidious thing. That's a really it really brutal is. thing. <laughs> wow! And you're uh, so so thirteen year old. What's that? Eighth grade and nineteen. You, your sons in college.
1: Uh, my son graduates from high school this year and is going on to college.
0: You must be proud.
1: I am very proud of him. He's a great kid. He, uh, you know, ha- has goals. He's never, you know, messed. Up. He's never done the wrong thing. He's always been that kid that's trying to do the right thing. Unfortunately for me, um, because he has this very high moral code, he's having a hard time forgiving me. Um, he doesn't really want to speak to me. And I completely understand. And hopefully as I have more clean time, as he can see me changing my life, that'll change. Um, But he's just, he holds himself to a high moral standard and of course holds his parents and everybody around him to that same standard. So it's very difficult for him to come to terms with the things that I've done.
0: Yeah. Sounds like a good kid. And I'm sure your, your, uh, your names must've been in the paper and stuff too. So he's old enough that he has to, uh, sounds like your younger son is just young enough that I imagine there's like, although there's a lot of teasing and stuff when you're, when you're 13, but your older son has a much clearer picture of how nuts this was.
1: Yes. And, you know, he saw it, someone posted uh, something on Facebook about it and that's how he found out and he was just so angry and um, I've talked to him a couple of times. I spent Christmas with him and uh, when I got sentenced, I got sentenced January twenty fourth and they gave us um until March seventh to get our affairs in order, you know, do what we had to do. Um so that this last forty five days have kind of been um pretty surreal. It's like what do you do if you only have forty-five days of freedom left? What do you I mean how do you spend that? And You kind of, you don't want to spend any money because you want to save up as much money as you can to take with you. So it's like, I've pretty much just gone about my life like normal and spent as much time with my husband as I can, tried to reconnect with my children. And it's just been, it's very surreal. Like you count down the days and then, you know, then you wake up and it's four days away and you're like, okay, what am I going to do the next four days? And part of you just wants to go get it over with because the faster you start, the faster it's done. But the other part wants to wait until that last moment, get every minute of freedom that you can.
0: Right. There's, <laughs> my, I, I, as you say that, I feel like mine would revolve 90% around food. I feel like I'd be traveling around eating all the food that I like. Where I'd be like, oh, I gotta get some good Indian food. I'm gonna have it for four <laughs> <Yeah>. years. <laughs> food would yes, be the that's big one for me. People-
1: we went for a steak dinner the other night. Yeah, I've been I bet eating you a did. lot of fast food. A lot of fast food.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I don't know when I'm going to get McDonald's again. <laughs>
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Those Wendy's. Yeah. Uh, you got to get them Wendy's chicken nuggets. Get the Taco Bell right now.
1: <laughs> yes. It, it has been a lot of food. And we're like, I'm, I can't look at ramen noodles because I usually like those. It's a good, easy thing to like warm up for if you're hungry. But I mean,. I can't think of eating those right now because that's what I'm going to have for the next four years.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I have a tough question. How do, your, okay. how do your kids feel about your new husband?
1: Um, there is some animosity there um, because I did start using with him and because we got in all this trouble together. Um, it's going to take a lot of work to rebuild the relationship.
0: Right. I can't imagine they were thrilled when you guys got married after getting arrested together.
1: Yes. Um, and that's something, you know, in addiction, relationships typically don't work. Um, we've been to counseling and all that stuff. And they're like, if they talked very, ser- our individual counselors talked very seriously to us about, you know, relationships don't work. And typically, you know, you guys will relapse together. And I'm like, you know. We are not, there have been time, more times for me, um, definitely. He is like, I don't know, He's I'm looking at him right now and he's giving me a weird look. <laughs> he has this amazing like resolve of drugs took too much for me to ever give anything to them again. And for me, I've had these moments of, you know, I just want to get high and not feel anything and I'm going to prison anyway. And he's like, do you really want to feel that way after? He's like, you're not going to be able to get high and feel good. Like, there's no way. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to get high and you're going to be mad and you're going to be, you know. And then you're just going to be stuck awake with all these feelings.
0: <laughs> right. Because I guess the question is, when you are when you get out of prison and uh, six, seven years are now, if, God forbid, one of you does fall back into it, are you going to have the strength to look the other person in the eye and say either, I have to get away from you or you need to get away from me.
1: That's where it's going to be hard. I um, we've, we've had very serious discussions about that. And if either one of us falls off and does the wrong thing, we know that we can't be together and do that. I mean, and it's very easy to say while we're being clean, while we're clean. Um, and I think the more time clean we have, will make it a little, you know, less of a risk. But I think that that's, that's a very real fear for both of us is if the other one messes up and starts using again, are we going to be able to not follow them down that path and start this all over again um, and get them the help that they need?
0: Right. I
1: think we've, we've built up a huge support system through, um, I mean, we're, we're very involved in Narcotics Anonymous and I mean, we've met so many amazing people with amazing stories that have, you know then just holding us up through this whole time and like you know, you've got this keep your head up and i i just it's if anything happened to where one of us messed up there's so many people that will rally around and help us
0: yeah the gravity of all this keeps setting in more and more the longer we talk we hear a lot of real life stories on this show, and this is uh, this is one of the realest we've ever had.
1: It's you know when um, I called and left a voicemail, my hope was um, both for somebody who's struggling with addiction to hear this and know that you don't have to be a prisoner to that life. Go, there's so many. Go find a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and just sit and listen, and you know. Addicts who have gotten clean are some of the most loving people and they will just wrap you up and get you help and be there and listen, take you for a cup of coffee and feed you. <laughs> um, so please, if you are struggling, go, just go sit in a meeting. It'll help. But also for some of your listeners, there's so much of a stigmatism of, or a stigma. <laughs> right. To a, lot <laughs> a lot of people with eye
0: problems amongst the beautiful anonymous listenership. A lot of people with eye problems.
1: Of course. Yeah. That and yeah. <laughs> I feel like there is such a stigma to addiction. I feel like people think that the only people that use drugs are um just the lower class of people that they never have to worry about drugs touching their life. And I will tell you that it can hit anyone and it can happen so quickly that you won't even realize it. I promise you I could be any one of your listeners, sister, mother, aunt, daughter, I could be, um, my husband and I could be just anybody close to you, and I mean, you would just be shocked how easy it is, um, drugs, to find their way into any walk of life. It doesn't discriminate at all. It's not a lower-class thing, um, and, and I just want people to know that if you see something like that, if you have a family member, please don't turn your back on them. Um, go to a meeting with them. And just try not to be so quick to judge people who have problems.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I know in New, I'm in New York City. The the financial district is probably where the most cocaine is sold in the city. These are rich people. Oh, absolutely. Ad- Ad- Adderall addiction, I'm sure, leading to meth. I'm sure it tumbles through that community. I want to add to something that you said, if that's okay. Because okay. Uh, b- because um, I've talked about it on the show before. Drugs. Drugs... And again, I'm a pretty insulated, dorky guy. I'm not around drugs. I've lost uh, one of my best friends to heroin. Another old friend i would lost touch with to heroin. I have uh, multiple friends who live in different states because they fell into heroin, had to get away from their dealers and their, their infrastructure. Another friend, I don't know, I talked about this on the show, once uh, got a call in the middle of the night that he needed money and there was this crazy elaborate story turned out that he had fallen into drugs. It's It's... It does affect all of us. Like you said, even if people don't know it, someone in their life is in over their head with this stuff. You had said, if you're listening, take action, go to an NA meeting, find the resource Mm -hmm. in your area. I want to also add, if you're listening, do it right now. Um, Take the action right now. Don't just say, oh, that's a good idea. I'll do that next week. Get on the internet right now. Find the nearest meeting. And if it's starting soon, go there. And if it's not, maybe go there anyway and wait till they unlock the doors. Because I think you are a very positive person in the face of um, a mountain of of trauma and, and recent trauma, and it's inspiring. And I just want to echo what you said, and also say, don't put it on a to do list. Do it right now. No, absolutely pause this not. podcast. Pause this podcast <laughs> right now. Look up that meeting, and get to it, and then you know listen to the rest of the show in your car in your car on the way there. Still, on the way there, yes, yeah, yeah. Still listen to my show. I still need, <laughs> I still need validation for my pursuits.
1: I am actually very lucky to be um, in a metropolitan area where there is a meeting pretty much any time of the day here, and most cities are like that. Need to either find an AA or an NA meeting. I've I found my home in NA. I found my people. <laughs> they were all just as crazy as me, and they've all, um. You know, the first person who came up and gave me a hug when I came to a meeting is this little old lady. Oh, I, well, I won't say her name. Oh, I almost did. Uh, <laughs> this little old lady that I I looked at her and immediately go, "There's no way this woman's a drug drug addict. There's no way. She looks like somebody's grandma." And then you know, she gave me a hug and was like. I've been there, you you know, everything's going to be okay. Come sit down and come listen. And then, you know, as I've heard her share, just years of addiction, and she used to be the person that would pull a shotgun on you and rob you and take your drugs. And I'm like, just, it's amazing to me to hear where people have been and how they've overcome that through you know going and finding help and you know I've been through rehab and I've been through these classes about addiction which are great they've taught me a lot about myself but going and sitting in a meeting and hearing someone's story who doesn't have to be there they're there because they want to help someone else and because being there helps their helps them stay clean is the most amazing thing and hearing how um people overcome just horrible things that you know desk and things like that and not pick up. And that's just no matter what, you have to get through these moments because you're going to have hard moments just because you get clean doesn't mean life's sunshine and roses. Obviously, I'm going to prison even though I'm clean, (laughs) but it's about (laughs) how you handle those moments and you learn how to call someone and be like, okay, I really just want to go mess up right now. And they will take you to lunch or be like, hey, why don't you read it, you know, read this part of the literature. And it's just an amazing support system that you always know someone's there.
0: Yeah, I I mean, the the fact that you're 10 months clean and you have this amount of clarity and the ability to to speak about the positive of it so much reflects very well on that system.
1: I, I know that, you know, I've been through some dark places in the last few years. Hello. I'm so sorry. I keep hitting mute with my cheek.
0: <laughs> it's I, happened I, I before. It. <laughs> I hit mute with my face. I have to say, is a uh, that was a very popular catchphrase <clears throat> after an earlier episode of the show. From what I, I forget which episode it was, but I can almost guarantee a much lighter one than this one. But hitting mute with <laughs> your face is a long-standing tradition here on Beautiful Anonymous. <laughs>
1: I, I, am. Um, my goal is, you know, I've been through some dark places and unfortunately I've, I've come out those and they have, I will never be the person I was before drugs again. I will never get that person back. She's lost. However, I am a stronger person. I have more empathy. And my goal is just to change someone else's life, to help someone else do that dark part and to find the light because it is there. I promise you, you can find it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it's super inspiring. Now you it's it's, it's, I, I, it's funny I just uh just attended a a thing like a, a a talk with someone who was talking about the prison system. And they said one of the really distressing things is that prisons are so far away that people's families it's not viable time-wise or financially to visit them. You said you're your prison's a, an eleven-hour drive away from where you uh, where you live. Do you feel like it's going to cut you off? Like, do you think your parents and your kids are going to be able to come see you?
1: Um, probably not. I probably won't have any visitors the um, four years I'm there. They do have um, video visiting, where someone can get on their computer if they have. They have to be an approved contact, and they can get on their computer if they have a microphone and a camera and download some software, and we can do a 30 minute uh, video visit, but that's the, I mean, it's basically I'll have access to kind of a Skype situation to visit, but I won't actually have any physical visitors just while I'm there. It's just not, my family just won't be able to make that trip.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very positive development though. Even uh, I would imagine that was a video visits. So I didn't know that existed. That might keep you a little and, more sane, right?
1: Right. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of, there's um, groups, there's, you know, mental health access. Some people, the only time they have any access to health care is when they go to prison. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, so there's a lot of things that as long as I, uh, the biggest thing I'm worried about is the depression. of You know, I've always battled with some depression and anxiety. And I will tell you in the last, like, two weeks, my anxiety has been through the roof. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but there's, uh, I think that's going to be my biggest struggle is trying to not focus on what's going on out here. I can't live out here for the next four years. I have to live in the moment in the place where I am. Um, so I can't, I can't really try to, I can't dwell on the negative or else I'll just spiral and just lay in my bed and not get up for the next three years very easily. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we have a little over a minute left, and I just want to uh, take a take a moment of that to just say, first of all, a huge thank you for sharing this story. I think it could really help a lot of people. It's inspiring, and uh, you know, hearing you just say that last part too, it sounds like you do have a a game plan, and I'm sure that's the reality is going to change that plan a million times, but. I am really sending you my love and my best wishes and, and please pass that on to your husband as well. I hope you stay clean. I hope you keep your head on straight and I hope you uh continue to uh to, to try to pass on, you know, coming out on the other side to to other people as well. It's really beautiful.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for I'm a huge fan of you. I'm sorry I didn't say that at the beginning. Super excited to have gotten to talk to you and to share some of my story. And maybe in three and a half years, on the other side of this, I'll make another voicemail (laughs) and get an
0: update. Yeah, please. We should check in. We should check in. Um, And I really, you know, I have a vision in my head of you coming out on the other side of this happier and staying clean forever. And I really hope that becomes the reality.
1: I do, too. That's my goal. And I'm not going to let anything catch me on... I'm not going to let anything just throw me off That's, I want to have a better life and I want to make other lives better
0: Caller, I want to just really reiterate sending so much hope to you and your husband so much genuine hope that you uh, get through this experience safe, that you keep learning about yourself and that you s- most importantly, just stay clean really really sending that your way thank you for calling thank you everybody for listening thanks jared o'connell sitting in the booth today by himself he and i sharing a number of moments of uh just truly blown away eye contact as <laughs> those details were dropped thanks harry nelson for all your help thank you to shell shag for the music thanks john delore and Greta cohen for helping me build this show you want to know about me, including upcoming tour dates, chrisgeth.com. Hey, if you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. It really helps when you do. It's all the business. I'll see you next time. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, somebody from my grandfather's county calls up, and I get to be an excited little dork about it. The sense I get is that Irish people and Northern Irish people are really fucking tired of Irish Americans claiming they're Irish in any way, true or false? I don't want to say that too in an Irish-American. No, I'm bringing but, um, it up. I'm Irish. And, I got my citizenship, baby. Uh, I'm, I'm Irish now. Do a lot of Irish people go blind, rolling their eyes at Irish-Americans?
1: It's nice because they come and they buy stuff here, and there's a lot of touristy shops and they, they like to spend money here, which is nice. But, um, yeah, you guys aren't, uh, I don't know. It's like they're more into being Irish than we are.
0: That's next time on Beautiful and Odd.